0: Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in full disclosure, I just sat in front of the red record button for probably about 10 minutes without hitting it, just sitting here and praying and centering myself and trying to work up the courage to record this episode. Welcome to Totally Stoked Podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Travis, and I am totally freaking terrified to be doing this show by myself. So, thank you for being here so that I can remember that I'm not by myself. I'm actually here with you. For my listeners who came from Rise to Thrive, thank you so much for following me to this new show. I have a lot of really exciting guests planned for this season and also some really deep, personal, heavy hitting episodes that I'm looking forward to sharing with you guys. Um, If this is your first time tuning in to Totally Stoked, well, welcome to episode one, um, and thank you for being here. I'm going to hopefully share in this episode a little bit about why I decided to create a solo podcast, um, why I decided to leave behind my podcast partnership, and where this show is heading. Um, But in order to understand any of that, you got to understand who the heck is this person that's hosting, why is she here, what's the point of it all. So, um, yeah, let's just dive in. So first of all, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, if you ever, ever sat and spoken into a microphone where there's not actually a specific person on the other end, but what it feels like right now in my body, it feels like, my stomach is in knots. It feels like my breath is constricted in my chest and it feels like I'm about to read a love letter or read my diary to you guys out loud. It feels like this deeply vulnerable, frighteningly intimate experience because it's just you and me here and I know that I'm about to expose a bunch of my truth and my wounds and my my path and journey and all that shit. I'm about to expose all my shit and it's like I'm showing you mine, but, but I can't see yours. So that feels super scary. Um, and I think it's important to share that it feels really scary because that's a big part of why I'm going my own way and doing my own show. Um, I feel like for me, there's in the last five years of growing my business, Stoked Yogi, and growing Stoke Collective, which is my community of yoga and wellness entrepreneurs, I feel like all along, every time I get in front of doing something new and exciting that might be a really big deal, I get this same paralyzing fear. And it comes in the form of the voice that just says, who are you to do that? So maybe you guys know this voice. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe, um, you know, you've heard it say, who are you to start that business? Or who are you um, to ask that person out on a date? Or who are you to, you know, ask your babysitter to stay longer? It comes all the time, right? This voice that says, who are you to do this thing that you want to do? And really like the operating principle for, My entire life is to show up and tell the truth. And part of showing up means showing up, especially when I hear that voice that says, Who are you to do this thing? Because it means that whatever the thing is, is big enough and exciting enough that whatever. You know, enemy exists or whatever negative energy exists, that negative energy wants to hold me back from doing this thing. And that's how I feel about doing this solo podcast. So, in full disclosure, I've recorded like 10 or 12 badass interviews for this season, amazing guest lineup. I already know there's so much incredible content that's coming from this show, but I have held off on recording this welcome episode. And I'm realizing now that I, it's because I was super scared. So, um, so first of all, for those of you who were listening to Rise to Thrive, um, Rise to Thrive was a, a show that I did with my dear friend Linda Tate. We recorded 33 awesome episodes um, about manifestation, growth, and well-being. It was a really, really fun show that ran from January of 2019 to August of 2019. And if you are wondering, like, why didn't you just keep doing that? What's that about? Um, the reason is basically intuition, like. Well, intuition and logistics. So in our last episode, How to Break up Nicely, we talked about why we went our separate ways. but I'll just recap here. Um, one of the things was that it was really hard logistically to get both of our schedules aligned to even create all the content, much less getting third parties in for interviews. Um, but beyond that, actually, you know the deeper reason was that when I looked at what I wanted my business and brand to look like in one year, in three years, in five years, I was really clear that this vision of podcasting was a solo show. And one of the patterns that I've had in life and in business is always wanting to be in partnership. I have a lot of incredible women in my community, including you who are listening right now. And um, I always want to, I, you know, I'm such a Libra. I'm like the more the merrier, right? Like it feels like... Um, if it's awesome by yourself, like it would be doubly awesome with a friend who you really love. And I think that's true in a lot of cases, but I also think there's a place of growth where we're asked to go alone. And I think that in many ways over the last five years, I've continually avoided that place in my business. Um, I've done my teacher trainings and retreats, always in partnership. You know, I've I've always tried to bring other people along with me and I'm five years into my business now and I'm just wrapping up my 33rd year on this planet and I feel like I'm finally stepping into the fullness of who I am as a woman and being willing to stand alone and be willing to be seen and heard for the message that I have to deliver. So even though that feels really scary, as I say all of that out loud, it actually feels really Right um, and really exciting. So, Rise to Thrive, those of you who are listeners know that we were pretty, pretty uncensored. Um, my intention with Totally Stoked Podcast is to go even more so. I really have this vision of a place of uncensored truth telling, no filters, no backspace key, no carefully curated content, just real authentic conversations about the stuff that's really hard to talk about. Um, and the happy stuff too, of course, it's not just going to be like one big depression fest. Um, but I think that, you know, I had this idea that we need to talk about things like sex and drugs and politics, power, um, race, climate change, human rights, gun control, spirituality, all of our experiences with the sacred and the profane, um, and really just have a place to share the stories that we have about being human so that all of us can feel a little bit less alone. Um, because in this age of being increasingly digitally connected, like we're all connected with each other through Instagram and Facebook and our websites, um, I think most of us feel a growing sense of isolation, and we really need reminders that we're okay. I'm going to cry as I say this. I'm like super emotional, you guys. Four days ago, I had my breast implants taken out, and I'm going to share all about that in another episode. But I'm just very much in this experience of realizing how important it is to um, to look at all of the stuff that makes us human, to really look at our light and our shadow, to look at all of the, the hard experiences that have brought us to where we are and even the challenges that we're currently facing. So my intention in this show is to do exactly that. It's to ask the difficult questions. It's to you know, interview these thought leaders and visionaries and healers and entrepreneurs and people that we look up to and admire. And let's be honest, people we sometimes put on a pedestal and really just inquire about what makes them human. You know, what's the real story behind um, the magazine covers or, you know, their podcast or their social media? So uh, my intention is to push boundaries. My intention is to get really uncomfortable myself, and sometimes that'll mean making you uncomfortable too. So stay with me. (laughs) Um, And to give all of us more insight into what it actually means to live a totally stoked life um, and to know that that's so much more than like good vibes only. And in fact, it's not. It's not good vibes only at all. It's being willing to look at the fullness um, and all the shades of gray of what this life holds. So that little voice that keeps saying, who am I to be doing this solo podcast well, little voice, I'm about to tell you just who the fuck I am. You ready? Okay, so who am I? I'm Amelia Travis. A lot of you guys probably know me as Stoked Yogi. Um, that's my Instagram username, it's my website, and it's the brand that I've spent the last five years building and pouring my heart and soul into. Um But I'm a lot more than just the brand Stoked Yogi. I am a woman. I'm a 33-year-old woman, almost 34, who is figuring out what her place is in the world. And what that means for me is that I'm I'm learning about self-love. I believe that we all have a purpose on this planet. We have a reason that we chose to incarnate, that we chose to come into this life. And I recently had My natal charts read, um, which if you're not familiar with astrology, it's basically a map of where all the planets were when you were born. And one of the most interesting things that I heard in that um, chart reading was that my north node of destiny, which is um, the indicator of why we chose to incarnate in this life, that mine was all about recognition that basically in a past life, I was either silenced or oppressed or trapped or had my voice um, suppressed. And when I came into this life, I was on a mission. I was on a mission to be seen and heard and help other people be seen and heard as well. And when I heard that in this natal chart reading, I was so blown away because um, I feel like I've spent the last five years Kind of fighting, right? Within the yoga community, there's this idea that we should temper our ego or that, you know, to have an ego. um, We all have an ego. The ego is the part of your brain that asserts the I principle that you are a separate being from other beings. Um, But within the yoga community, there's this. Aim or this goal within yoga philosophy of eradicating the ego or tempering the ego, becoming the witness, becoming aware that you're more than this mind and this body. Um, But I think there's kind of this sweet spot in between. I think that especially as women, we can take the idea of tempering our ego and we can use it for self negation. And what I mean by that is. We can overly humble ourselves or we can downplay our own importance and our own um, necessity in this life. Like You're here for a reason. You exist for a reason. You're taking up space and breath and and vital life energy because there's something that you're supposed to do. There's a way that you're supposed to serve humanity um, and there's a way that I'm supposed to serve too and part of that is being willing to be seen. <laughs> um So I am, I wear a lot of different hats. Um, I'm a wife to an incredible man. Hello, Brent. I love you, baby. Um, He's my earth angel. He is um, a huge part of my story, my journey of healing, and I'll share more about that in a little bit. Um, I'm mama to an incredible three-year-old boy, my son Tanner, um, who has so far been one of my greatest teachers. Um, And you know, I'm also a business owner and an entrepreneur and a yoga teacher and a writer and a speaker and all of these other labels, but the most important one that I want to give myself is a mirror. I am here to be a mirror for you, Um, for, for women, for humans who are trying to figure out why they're here and what's the point of it all. So, Um, I'm going to share a little bit about my background. If you guys have listened to my podcast in the past or you've heard me interviewed on other shows, you maybe have heard some of this stuff, but um, I think it's important to kind of give you guys an idea of like, who is this person and why are we listening to her? So um, I grew up in California. I'm a California girl born and raised. I grew up in Northern California near Sacramento, which is the state capital. And I grew up in a really privileged, I would say upper middle class, white, white, Um, educated family. My dad was an attorney. My mom was a psychologist. I have one older sister who I love so much. Um, And I had a really, what I would call like a happy and normal upbringing. Um, My parents had a good relationship or so I thought, um, and everything was good. I would say the biggest challenge of my childhood was that I was a little bit chubby. Um, I think I always had the tendencies of an addict to want to self-soothe. And when, I, when you're a little kid, there's not a lot of things you can do for self-soothing, but one of the ones that's available is food. Um, so I think I started self-medicating pretty young with food, and I, I was always a little bit chubby as a kid, and that combined with being really smart was a good way to get made fun of. Um, so I was teased a lot as a kid for being chubby and for wearing glasses and for getting good grades, but for the most part, I I developed, um, resilience to that and knew that, um, even though I was chubby, you know, I was pretty. And even though I was smart and people made fun of that, that that would serve me in the long run. So I would say I was pretty well adjusted as a kid. Um, though looking back, I realized that early on I was really forming a lot of those seeds of self-loathing and insecurity that would come, um, to blossom during my teenage years. Um, so, yeah, happy upbringing. Um, everything was going along pretty smoothly until I was about 13. When I was 13, I was already starting to a little bit get into trouble. I really wanted to be popular. I wanted to fit in with, you know, the kids that um, I thought were cool and the girls who were skinny and pretty and cheerleaders and all that stuff. Um, and in my desire to fit in, I started to get into trouble, you know, stealing alcohol from my parents' liquor cabinet and... Um, you know, running away onto the green belt at night to hang out with my friends and s- smoking cigarettes and stuff like that. Um, but that really all all accelerated when I was just shy of 14. It was um, September. It was really, oh gosh, September before I turned 14. So almost 20 years ago, 20 years ago to like the day. That's pretty crazy. So 20 years ago, um, I found a letter on my bedroom floor. And I opened the letter, and as I started reading it, it was in my mom's handwriting. And it was a letter to my dad. And it said, it started out with the line, How could you do this to our family? And I just remember reading that line and feeling like my world turned upside down. Um, I knew something was really wrong. And as I continued to read the letter, it became clear that. Either my dad was having an affair or he was um, thinking about having an affair or something. The letter was basically talking about my dad ripping apart our family and how could he do this to my mom, et cetera, et cetera. So finding that letter was the beginning of um, a journey in my parents' divorce. Basically, my dad had gone to his 35th high school reunion and uh, fallen in love with someone else and decided that he was going to leave our family after 23 years of marriage. Um, My parents never fought. They never argued. There didn't seem to be any outside indicators that this was coming. So it really hit us out of nowhere. My mom had struggled my whole life um, with unipolar depression. And so my dad, finding out my dad was leaving, really sent her into a depressive tailspin. And she knew that she needed to keep herself safe. So she took some time and checked herself into A treatment facility to deal with the depression. And that just kind of left my sister and I to figure it out on our own. (laughs) Um, And we were, you know, 13, almost 14 and 15. um, And we really handled the news in two different ways. My sister, who is incredibly smart, incredibly gifted, she buckled down. She like doubled down on doing really well in school, on, you know, performing in her clubs, on basically taking like, the straight and narrow path and being a good kid. And I decided to go the opposite direction. My attitude was like, fuck you. If you don't do what you say you're going to do, why should I do what I say I'm going to do? I can't count on my parents for anything. So now I'm going to just do whatever I want. Um, And so around my 14th birthday, I just I just started spinning out. I started ditching school. I ended up being truant from high school um, midway through that year. Um, I got kicked off of the cheerleading squad for smoking weed at a basketball game. I um, just just really was acting out my anger towards my parents and towards myself in any version of self-harm that I could find. Um, So sex, drugs, alcohol, uh, compulsive lying, um, stealing. I got arrested for shoplifting. I was just like, just a wild child. I was absolutely out of control. Um, And it's interesting to reflect on that now because I can see that I was just mirroring my, my life circumstances. My life felt completely out of control. So I was going to play that up even more, stir it up even more, make things even more out of control. Um, Because somewhere in that chaos, I found some kind of comfort. So um, I went through my teenage years. My parents uh, ended up getting a divorce. I got the option to do independent study for high school. And that was really interesting because it was like, basically, they were like, hey, you're truant. We're going to expel you from high school or here's this other option. You can go to independent study and go to school for an hour a week and we'll still give you a diploma. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, (laughs) duh, I'll take option number two. That sounds amazing. Um, So I did. I went to independent study and then I, one of my friend's moms offered me a full-time job at um, a public records research firm, which sounds super boring. And that's because it is super boring. Um, so basically it was an office job. You can just imagine office job. And I started working at this office job the day before my 16th birthday. So we're flashing forward two years from when uh, my parents started to split up. So I was in a really wild period and that's actually why my friend's mom offered me this job. She knew that I was getting into a lot of trouble at that time. Um, it had gone from like drinking and smoking weed to like smoking meth and, Really, and using, really using any drugs that I could get my hands on. I only had one rule, and that was I will never stick a needle in my arm. Um, and I'm almost 34 years old, and I've never broken that rule, but pretty much everything else was fair game. So this friend's mom saw that I was going nowhere fast, and she saw that I was really out of control, and she figured, you know, maybe having a job or like somewhere to go every day would help me. So she offered me this job, and I started. Um, working a full-time grown-up job the day before I turned 16. And it was at that job that I met um, a guy that I would date for the next six years who um, I learned a lot in our relationship. But one of the biggest things that I learned was what I will tolerate and what I will not tolerate in relationships. Um, And I believe the way that we learn that is through being given clear examples of what we're not willing to tolerate and what we don't want in relationships. So I headed into a period, a six-year period, of a pretty toxic, very emotionally and mentally abusive relationship. Um, The guy who I was dating was seven years older than me. So when we started dating, I was 15, he was 22, um, and I lied to him about my age. I let him think that I was a year older, so he still knew that I was underage, but he thought I was a little closer to 18 than I really was, Um, and we started dating, and he also had a daughter. He had a daughter who he had had when he was um, 14 or 15. So he had a daughter who was only 11 years younger than I was, who would end up living with us part of the time um, and being a huge part of of my journey into loving myself because I was able to witness at such a young age what kind of example I was setting for this little girl who who stayed with us um you know, considerable amount of time from the time she was six to the time she was almost 10. And I was young, you guys. It's really, I mean, at 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, to be witnessing, to be A, trying to be such a grown-up, and B, witnessing how you're falling short at that, because guess what? Like, you're not ready. Um, It was a really challenging period. And I think I just I think I just experienced so much pain in my adolescence that I just tried to skip it. I kind of figured like, I'll just jump right into being an adult and everything will be cool. So I was working this full-time job, Um, you know, I had my own house at 16 that my mom bought and then I rented from her, Um, had everything myself, you know, had joint bank accounts with this boyfriend, joint car insurance, Um, was going to college and working two jobs and just like not giving myself the chance to be a kid. And on top of that, there were major trust issues in this relationship. The guy that I was dating had a serious mother wound. His mother was a drug addict and really cruel to him growing up. So he just had issues with trusting the feminine. And he was constantly um, attacking me and questioning me, asking where I'd been and who I'd been with. And Uh, making it out like I'd been cheating on him when I was usually just like at the freaking bookstore. Like I was like at Barnes and Noble getting text messages like, where the fuck are you? Um, So even though I was smart and even though I knew on an intellectual level that the way that I was being treated was not okay, I was carrying so much insecurity and so much self-loathing that I just didn't, I didn't break out of it. And I had this feeling of like, well, I've made my bed, now I have to lie in it, right? Like I had this idea that somehow leaving that relationship would be the same thing as like my dad leaving my mom. Um, I had this idea that like once you commit to a relationship that you have to stay. And so I used that reasoning to keep me in bondage for a really long time. Um, So over that six years, I um, worked a couple different jobs and went to college and changed my major a bunch of times. I studied criminal justice and psychology and um, journalism. And it was around the time that I was in 20, I guess 20 and 21, that things really started to get bad. Um, It went from emotional abuse to physical abuse, you know, pushing, um, punching holes in the walls, um, just not feeling like a safe environment. And my way of coping with that Um, during the first couple years of my relationship with that guy, I'd cleaned up the drugs a lot. Um, He didn't approve of people using drugs, like I said, because his mom was an addict. So I stopped because I wanted to please him. Um, But the drugs started creeping back in. I started smoking weed again and I started abusing prescription pills. Um, And that was because I was seeing different psychiatrists to deal with anxiety and panic attacks and what I realized was that I would go to these different psychiatrists and I would talk to them about whatever I was feeling that day Um, and they would give me medication to help me with whatever I was feeling that day. But every day was a different feeling. So I would see these different psychiatrists and some of them medicated me for Attention deficit disorder, others medicated me for anxiety disorders. So I ended up with everything from, you know, antidepressants to um, anti anxiety, Xanax to Adderall to this whole pharmacy basically of different drugs. And I realized that I could use those in whatever combinations I wanted to to help me not feel whatever I was feeling. So I became an expert at medicating my feelings. And suppressing them. And that carried on until I was almost 21. My 21st birthday um, was when the bottom just fell out. I was abusing a lot of prescription pills. I was really had been experiencing severely disordered eating for like two years Um, because I couldn't control my relationship and I couldn't control anything else in my life. my dad was also really sick. My dad had been sick off and on my whole life with liver disease, but from 19 on, the sickness got worse, um, and he was experiencing later stage symptoms of liver disease. He also had lupus that was undiagnosed for 30 years. So my dad was really sick. I couldn't control that. My mom was really depressed. I couldn't control that. My relationship was really toxic. I felt like I couldn't control that. I didn't know how to parent this child who was 11 years younger than me didn't know how to control that. I absolutely hated my body and hated the way that I looked. Um, I didn't know how to control that. And so the only thing I felt like I could control was what I put in my body, um, food and drugs. And so I restricted my food intake. I would you know, limit myself to a couple hundred calories a day and um, keep track of that obsessively in my journal and in my online blog. Um, and it finally got to where there was a few incidences that made me realize I needed to leave this relationship. Um, and one of them was just an episode of violence that happened in front of that little girl. And I realized when that happened that I was showing her what love looked like and what I was showing her was not what love looks like and so when I realized that I realized that I needed to leave so I spent about three months planning my escape um, and getting my getting my plan together so that in December of 2006 I could leave that relationship. So um, I did I I packed my stuff and hid it in my closet and had everything ready and on, My ex's 28th birthday, when I was supposed to be planning his birthday party or getting his birthday party ready with another friend, um, I said, okay, I'm going to go home and change my clothes and I'll be back for the party. But I actually went home, packed my truck, packed my dog, took one last look around my home that I'd had for the last four years and left. Um, Drove to San Diego to stay with one of my best friends and then from there, I continued on my journey. Um, And I would love to be like, that's where everything got better. (laughs) But it wasn't. I was 21 years old, severely um, abusing drugs, deep in the throes of disordered eating. I was in a significant amount of credit card debt because um, I was, you know, compulsively shopping and just, just coping. I had all of these coping mechanisms for the pain that I was in for all of this pain of you know my dad leaving and and these um you know this unhealthy relationship and compounded in all of that what I didn't even realize at the time was multiple incidences of sexual assault in my teenage years that I I had completely just swept under the rug and not processed so um I left and you would think that's where everything would turn around and it would get better, but it actually was just the beginning of a pretty insane downward spiral. Um, So when I left that six-year relationship, I wanted to get my power back and I wanted to be single and I wanted to date and I wanted to have exciting adventures and I wanted freedom, right? Because I felt like the biggest thing that I had been missing from 16 to 21 was freedom. I was just always under the thumb of this other person, always being controlled. And I just didn't feel like I I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. It was my time. So um, while I was online doing my little online blogging of my food intake, one day I saw a little banner ad pop up for Sugar Daddy. It was like Sugar Daddy website. And I was like, what's that? And I went to click on it. And by the way, like you can find anything on the internet, but I wasn't even looking for this. Like it found me. Um, and I found this website where you could basically look for like an arrangement with people, um, usually older men, younger women. And it was like a no strings attached relationship where, you know, you could have companionship in exchange for money. Um, And I felt like that was a good way to get my power back. I was obviously a total freaking mess. And that obviously, in retrospect, is not a good way to get your power back. But at the time, it seemed like a brilliant idea. Um, So I made a profile and I started on this three-year journey of being a sugar baby. And I'm not going to go into all those stories here because I'm writing a whole book about it because it was that insane. But basically, it was a mess. I ended up driving across the country by myself, ending up in North Carolina because you can't drive any further. During that period, you know, two of the gentlemen who I had the opportunity to know ended up in prison for crimes that were unrelated to what we were doing together, but just gives you an idea of the caliber of people that I was dating. Um, and that period also was me going deeper into substance abuse and um, diet pills and and really just this identification with my body as a commodity, right? Like it, if, you know, if you're entering into these no-strings-attached relationships with older wealthy men who are looking for somebody who's arm candy, then it makes you view yourself as arm candy. And so I became obsessed with How my body looked and what kind of clothes I was wearing and whether I had designer shoes or designer handbags or you know um, what my package looked like basically and it looked beautiful. I mean I looked like a thin rich white wannabe socialite wearing the fanciest clothes and inside I was just crumbling. I was absolutely completely broken. Um, but I wouldn't trade that period for anything because it was during that time that I developed, that I started to really develop a spiritual relationship with something bigger than myself. And, um, it started with, it started with one of those men asking me a question. We were driving through Tennessee, um, in the middle of the night, after spending a few days at a riverboat casino. And I remember he asked me the question, he said, do you believe in God? And I was like, smoking a cigarette, you know, looked over at him. And I was like, no. And he's like, why not? And I said, because if God is real, then why do I feel so empty inside? And he was quiet for a minute before he answered. And then he just said, A glass isn't empty unless it can be filled. By definition, for something to be empty means it can be filled up. So if you feel empty, then that just means that there's something that can fill you. You just have to figure out what it is. And it's not like in that moment that I had like an epiphany and this heavens opened and the angels started singing, but it was like a little tiny light was shown on a corner of my soul that I'd been ignoring, maybe forever. Um, and it just kind of opened the door, a crack, to this idea of a spiritual reality. So I started to pursue that. Um, it just so happens that this guy who asked that question was an evangelical Christian. He had a strong relationship with Jesus. And um really was encouraging me to seek God in that direction. The next six months, I started exploring what I call my hotline. So I started exploring the idea of God, not through scripture study, not through reading the Bible, but through prayer, um, through just direct connection. I started talking to God, um, And just asking god if god was real to like help me because i was really shitty at running my own life and in fact what i will my salvation prayer um when i actually asked to have a relationship with god my prayer went something like this i was on a hotel room floor i was in myrtle beach i was by myself i was in the middle of this sugar baby stuff in the middle of abusing cocaine totally a mess you know, credit cards completely maxed out, no idea where the next money was coming from. Just, I mean, imagine the pit of desperation. That's where I was. And I was by myself. And I think my prayer went something like this. I said, hey, God, I'm not sure you're real. But if you are real, I really need your help. Because I am not doing a very good job at running this life by myself and i don't think i can do it anymore so you know i don't know about jesus and all this stuff but if you are real like i need you to show me i need you to show up and i need you to pull out all the stops like i need neon signs i need flashing lights like i need you to literally show up right now and be like i am god <laughs> because that's the only way i'm going to i'm going to believe it and in that moment something happened. Um, I felt a presence come into the room that felt like just this big energy, this big loving energy came into the room and it surrounded me. And I remember feeling so much pressure from this energy that I came all the way down onto my knees and that wasn't even low enough. So then I came all the way down onto my belly, onto the floor and I just started crying and I felt completely held. I felt the presence of this loving energy and I felt like it was God just saying like, hey, I'm here and I'm real. And that's enough for you right now. So he would think, well, then maybe that experience was what turned her around. No, no, my friends, don't get any crazy ideas. Um, I started that walk with with God, with Jesus. I did identify that as a person of Jesus and I started reading the Bible and I started kind of living a dual life. I started living my life within, you know, the church of Charlotte, North Carolina, which is very much still like the Bible Belt. Um, I was leading young life and I was, you know, kind of I got a job as a flight attendant and I kind of had like this life on one side that looked really good and then behind the scenes I was still doing the sugar baby stuff I was still abusing prescription diet pills I was still um you know binge drinking at times and I was still just really really a mess so flash forward um another I don't know year or so and um I just had gotten sick of my own shit. I was sick of the people that I was dating. I was sick of the making myself a commodity. I was sick of um, feeling sick. I was sick of being hungover. And I got the news that my dad was really, really sick this time. Um, They'd said that many times before. I mean, off and on, every four or five years of my life, I got the message like, hey, your dad's going to die. It's time for you to say your goodbyes. And then every time, he wouldn't die. But this time this was in 2009. They were like, "No, really, like, you know, he maybe has another 6 months left, maybe another year if you want to spend time with him, it's time to come back to California." So, I I did. I had an apartment in North Carolina at the time, I had an apartment in Ohio. I had a couple different guys that I was dating and I just left it all behind. I left it all behind. I moved back to California with no job, no plan, left my flight attendant job left all my stuff in those apartments and just came back to California. And this was in summer of 2009. So 10 years ago. And, um, when I got back to California, I went to my family's beach house, which is on the central coast. And it's always been my most sacred place. Um, it's the place that I've returned to a couple weeks out of each year. And, and it's just been a place where I can witness my own growth and change. Do you have a place like that where like, you go back there every couple of years and when you go back you're able to see how you're different from the last time you were there. So anyway, I'm um, late summer 2009, I came back to California and I sat down on the beach on September 7th, 2009 and I had this prayer. Um I was like, "Hey God, you know, by that time I was pretty solid in my relationship with God. I'd witnessed so many miracles, so many So many times that God completely provided for me when it felt like there was no way out of a a certain situation. I'd experienced the hand of God actually keeping me safe from physical harm um, and some really threatening situations during those sugar baby years. So I came to the beach and I sat down and I was like, God, I give up. (laughs) I give up, man. I just... I just want to be single for like the next five years. I just want to become the woman that you want me to be. I want to paint and I want to write and I want to learn to surf and I want to practice yoga again and I want to heal and I just, I just want what you want for me. I just want, I just want to become the woman I'm supposed to be and I just, I just, I need you to take over because I'm not doing a good job. So please, like I surrender. I give it all to you. Um, And I had this prayer and then I had this really powerful meditation, which I have always struggled with meditation. So I remember just sitting on the beach for like, I don't know, maybe an hour and just listening to my breath and listening to the waves and just feeling like there was nowhere else to be and there was nothing else to do. And really, I was exactly, everything was perfect in that moment. So I swore off men, right? I was like, I'm going to be single for the next five years. And um, (laughs) God has an insane sense of humor because I swore off men. And then my sister and I were both single for the first time in like five years. Um, She had also gone through a really, really gnarly breakup, which I'm not going to share here because that's her business. But basically we were both single for the first time in five years and One of her friends came to visit at the Beach House and was like, hey, you guys should make online dating profiles just for like vacation romance, right? Just to find a hookup. And I was like, you know what? Like that sounds like a really good way to get over. (laughs) I'm laughing now. Like (laughs) that does not sound like a good way to get over my past, but like it seemed like a good way at the time. So we drank a couple bottles of wine. We made these online dating profiles. My sister went and had like an awesome experience with somebody from one of those websites. And I was just on there like, no, no, no. Like going through all the profiles, like ugly, fat, like stupid, like forgive me for being so judgmental, but I'm just being honest with you. Like they all were not great. And if you've done any online dating, maybe you've been through that experience. So anyway, then I stumble on this one profile and I'm like, oh, like it literally makes me catch my breath because this is the most beautiful man I've ever seen. And he's getting barreled in this like perfect wave somewhere tropical because he's wearing board shorts. And then the next picture, he's like hiking with all these trees. And then another picture, he's like um, holding his snowboard and a Coors Light. And he's just so freaking cute. And I'm like, oh my God, I love this guy. So I send him a message. And the message just says, hey, I'm on vacation. I think you're really hot do you want to have a beer? <laughs> it was like so just straight up looking for a hookup. You couldn't even, there's no two ways around it. So the guy doesn't write back. He doesn't write back for a day and then two days. And then I'm like, forget this guy, whatever. And then he does write back and I get the message and it says, Hey, sorry. I was like at work. If you're still interested in hanging out, I'd love to get together. So we end up making plans to get together. It's a Wednesday and we're going to meet up at nine o'clock at night. You guys, it was September 9th, 2009. So we met on 9909 at 9 o'clock in the evening. Tell me that isn't crazy cosmic. So, anyway, um, you know, when I tell this story, I realize that it makes my husband sound like he was like my savior. And in some ways, I feel like I want to be careful of that because it just perpetuates the stereotype that, like, women need saving. But I'm also going to be really honest with you. Like, I needed saving. I was not okay. And God knew that. And God knew that I needed to be rescued. Like, and like, it's funny because my husband jokingly calls me his rescue, you know, like a pound puppy. (laughs) because I was such a mess when we got together. So anyway, we met up in this little tiny saloon in this little tiny town of Cayucas on 9909 at nine o'clock at night. And I have to make this story short because this episode's going to be too long. But basically during that first date, something happened to me that has never happened before. And I think has never happened since. And it was about an hour into our conversation. We were talking And he was talking about being in the Coast Guard and how he has to move a lot and how it's hard to date people because of that. And it wasn't what he was saying. But in that moment, immediately, I heard a voice outside myself. But it sounded just like my voice, but like the voice of my highest self. And all it said was, this is the man you're going to marry. And it was so loud that I was like, excuse me, what? And then Brent was like, what? And I was like, did you hear something? And he's like, no. No. And I was like, okay. But inwardly, I was like, no freaking way. Like, I just swore off men for five years. God, there's no way you're doing this. We're going to figure this out right now. So I'm like, hey, you want to play a game? And my husband's like, at that time, you know, just this random guy I'm on a date with. He's like, uh, I don't know. Like, what kind of game? And I'm like, I'm going to tell you all the worst stuff about me. I'm going to tell you everything horrible about me. And if you still want to hang out at the end of it, then we can still hang out. And he's like, that's a really weird game. But Okay. So I just start dumping and I just tell him like everything that I just told you guys and more, literally everything wrong I've ever done, all the reasons he should run for the hills. Like, and I'm just talking and talking and talking for like probably 10 minutes. And then I finally run out of things to say. And I'm just sitting there looking at his face and his face is just getting more and more amused. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I finally like t- take a breath and he's like, so is that all? like smiling at me. And I'm like, well, that's all I can think of right now. I'm sure there's more. And he's like, okay, do you want to go shoot some pool? And I was like, okay. So um, we went and shot some pool and I'll tell the rest of that story another day, but obviously it worked out because we're married. We have a kid and life is good. Um, But that was really the beginning of like the next big turning point. Setting that intention to become the woman that God wants me to be was really setting the intention to become the woman that my highest self wants me to be, the woman that I want to be, the woman who I came to be in this life to fulfill my purpose. And I feel like the divine knew that I couldn't do that without the love and partnership of my husband, who has been so huge in helping me fall in love with myself. I mean, he's the cheerleader that said, go and do your yoga teacher training. He's the one that said, move to the beach. He's the one that says, sell that stupid Lexus and buy, you know, a station wagon that you can ride around and go surfing in. He has cheerleaded all my dreams um, and and made it possible for me to live them. So So 10 years since then, you guys kind of probably know since then. Since then I started Stoked Yogi. I started this business of helping women um, find more joy through movement, through surfing, stand-up paddleboarding and yoga, find empowerment through personal development. Um, And it's blossomed into something really beautiful where now I get to spend my, my time doing retreats, teacher trainings, coaching. Um, I have online courses for business development, all that stuff. You guys can go to stokejoey.com if you want to learn more about me. Um, But that's a little bit about who I am to that voice that says, who are you to do this? Who I am to do this is the woman who has experienced the depths of darkness and can sit in non-judgment and compassion for you no matter what you are going through. I am not better than you. I have been there in all the shit and sometimes I am still there. So the reason that I am having this show To specifically be a place for uncensored truth-telling is because we all need to be reminded that no one is perfect, that we're all human, and that being human is a glorious mess of a roller coaster of feeling and mistakes and failures and beautiful sacred moments and divine love and it's just this big freaking melting pot that is what it's all about. Like this is why we're here. We're here for the sacred and the profane. We're here for you know the divinity and the humanity. Like we're here for all of it. I'm here for all of it. And so my intention with this show is to really just hold space for that. Um and to be willing to be unpolished and to be willing to be with you in the fullness of myself. And I used to think, and I hope that this touches somebody's heart. I I know there's someone who needs to hear this. I used to think that I was broken Um, and that all of these parts of my story that are maybe less than flattering or stories about my brokenness. But what I believe now is that I've always been whole and that integrating all of these pieces of myself that felt like they were part of my brokenness is is really it's just about remembering it's about remembering the wholeness and knowing that the wholeness encompasses all of it the light and the dark so the rest of the season you're going to hear some incredible interviews um getting other people to be as deep and as vulnerable and as open as I've been with you guys in this episode and the show is for all of us so I want to hear from you guys if you have requests if you have suggestions of people who you want on the show um, if you have topics that you want me to talk about things that are near and dear to your heart or things that you think are not being talked about enough um, in a public forum please send them my way send an email to amelia at stokedyogi.com. I will answer them. Um, I love you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I hope that this episode gave you some insight into who I am. And my overarching goal, the number one thing that I plan to do with this show with Totally Stoked is just show up and tell the truth. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories. Tag Stoked Yogi hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokejogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.